Good morning. Welcome to our Christmas Eve service. Warm welcome to those who are listening online. As we prepare for tomorrow, as we think about Jesus coming as a baby, let's focus our worship on on just that, really. And to read a few verses about the birth of Jesus Christ. We know these scriptures so well, but it's worth sometimes just meditating and thinking about what we're actually hearing. So Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Loving Father, help us to always remember that you are there with us through every season of our lives. Thank you as we think about the word Emmanuel, God with us, that you really are there in the good times and the challenging times. We thank you for bringing us through this year the good and the bad, and we thank you that you will continue to be there with us, that you are interested in each and every one of us, and that you love us more than we can comprehend. We pray that as we look towards tomorrow, maybe with mixed emotions, that we will truly remember all that you have done for us through sending Jesus, born as a baby, to live amongst us and then die and horrific death, so that we can have a relationship with you. We thank you for your unmeasurable love for us. Just be with us, meet with us here this morning, and speak to us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Today's Advent reading, you will notice, has a similar verse to um, what I've already read, and this was obviously written 700 years before. Thank you. So Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. From Isaiah 12:2-6. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. 
Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We thank you, Father, that we can sing your praises. You have done glorious things, and we have so much to be thankful for. Jesus, light of the world, world, we give thanks for all you have done for us by coming, living with us, dying for us, and rising again to be with God in heaven. We thank you that you are our strength, our song, and our salvation. And as we prepare to celebrate your birth tomorrow, may we begin to see the world in the light of your understanding. As you choose the lowly, the outcast and the poor to receive the greatest news the world had ever known, help us to reach out to people and to show your love as well. We pray that you will be with us in this time and in the year to come, that you will guide us and strengthen us in all we do. Well, good morning, everybody. A very warm welcome from me to everyone who's joined us this morning, of course, in the building, and also our family and friends who are watching the live stream on YouTube. Uh, it's lovely that so many have been able to be, uh, to be here this morning, um, and we look forward to what's coming in the service, and hopefully at the end of the service you'll be able to stay and uh, have a cup of tea or coffee. We've got a mince pie mountain out there that needs conquering so please do stay and we've got chocky pickies as well so that's another incentive um no special notice no proper notice i should say this this morning just to say um that tomorrow morning we have a family service here at church at, at 10 30 uh bring a present if something is something you'd like to do and it's just a lovely lovely short service to just spend time together on the actual christmas day so we're on the fourth Sunday of Advent now, aren't we? And I don't know about you, but I think this Advent has been really lovely. We've done all sorts of lovely stuff in church. There's been so many lovely things happening. But now we're here on Christmas Eve, and I think it's a really special time, a really special day. Hopefully all the preparations are done, and we can enjoy a time of reflection and chill out before the big day tomorrow, although I know for some it won't be a celebration, it will be a time of difficulty, and we just pray for God's peace to be on those who are struggling at this time. If you're one of the people that are a bit last minute and there's still stuff to do, well, that's okay, because at least for the time being, while we're here together, we can just enjoy spending time with our amazing God. Thank you to the worship team that's uh, led us so far this morning. Uh, Rob's going to be speaking to us shortly, and uh, we will be taking um, communion later. So I really do hope that we all leave here feeling very blessed for being together this morning. <clears throat> Suzanne's already mentioned about the birth of Jesus uh, which is quite appropriate for Christmas Eve, isn't it? And I think that Without doubt, really, the key player in this stage of the Nativity on Christmas Eve has to be Mary, doesn't it? The mother of Jesus. Our Lord's still not arrived. 
but she is the one that is going to make God's miracle come true. She was a Jewish peasant girl from Nazareth, about 15 years of age, when she was visited by the angel Gabriel. Now, as was the Jewish tradition at this time, she was betrothed to a man who was named Joseph. Now, betrothal was a formal promise to marry someone, a little bit more binding than the engagements that, that we know. So she was kind of committed into a, a, a betrothal contract, if you like. Now, to be told that even though she was a virgin, she would become pregnant miraculously by the Holy Spirit, give birth to the Son of God, wow, it must have been absolutely mind-blowing. How would she tell people? Would they believe her? What about Joseph? How would he take the news? In the eyes of the world in this culture, she had committed adultery, which was punishable by death. Poor kid, what a terrible, scary position to be in. And it tells us in Matthew uh, 19, again, something that um, Suzanne has, has already mentioned this morning. Joseph was a good man, and he didn't want to embarrass Mary in front of everyone, so he decided to call off the wedding quietly. But God sent an angel to him in a dream to tell him that Mary's baby was from the Holy Spirit and that he should go ahead and marry her, which he did, although they didn't consume, consummate the marriage until after the baby was born. So, so here we, we have evidence that Joseph was very much part of God's plan. And again, we see that when God asks us to do something, he equips us. Our situations often don't change immediately, but the blessings come to help us to cope when things get really tough. So Mary knew she had Joseph's support, but she would still have had a very hard time in her community. She would have been shunned, maybe spat on, and treated very badly. So when Mary, as just a teenager, she had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles. Not down a motorway like we would these days, but on very rough ground. Riding on a donkey, slightly better than having to walk, I suppose. She was due to give birth at any time. It must have been so uncomfortable, quite horrific, really. But when it gets worse, of course, when they eventually arrived in Bethlehem with Mary in labour, there was nowhere for them to stay. Both Mary and Joseph must have been absolutely terrified and panic-stricken. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, don't we? That all would be well for them. But for them, they were just two youngsters, miles away from home and completely on their own. Then, eventually, someone took pity on them and offered them the stable. It would have been very dark in there, very cold. The smell would have been awful, and we can only imagine the filth that Mary have laid in as she brought into the world the Son of God. Not quite the cosy scene we see on Christmas cards, is it? <clears throat> There's a song written by a guy called Andrew Peterson. It's called The Labour of Love. And I'm just going to read the lyrics because I think it quite sums up that first Christmas Eve. It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyway that night on the streets of David's town. And the stable wasn't clean, and the cobblestones were cold, 
and little Mary, full of grace, with the tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labour of pain, it was a cold sky above, but for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labour of love. Noble Joseph by her side, with calloused hands and weary eyes. There were no midwives to be found in the streets of David's town in the middle of the night. So we held her and he prayed, the shafts of moonlight on his face. But the baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. He was the author of the faith that could make the mountains move. It was a labour of love. It was a cold sky above, but for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labour of love. Have a blessed Christmas. Thank you, Carol. If any junior church would like to leave, now is your opportunity to do so. Have a good session, guys. <clears throat> so, yes, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning to, to people at home. Um, as Carol said, I hope you are ready for tomorrow. I guess by this point, the shopping should be done, so it's tough luck if you're not, I guess. You have to make do and mend, don't you? Um, and I do hope you have a lovely time, whatever you are uh, have got planned. Whether Christmas is uh, a really joyful time of year for you or whether it uh, brings some raw and difficult emotions. Um, I, like Carol, pray that you have God's peace on your heart this year. And this morning we're going to be looking at a great event in the lead up to Christmas. Uh, so if you want to find your Bibles, we're going to be having a look at Luke, the beginning of Luke's Gospel. I'm going to be reversing time a little bit uh, this morning. We've, we've had to think about the actual birth um, but I'm going to pick Mary's story up uh, a few months before that with the beginning of Luke's gospel. So Luke 1 uh, is where we're aiming, about chapter 26. And I hope as we look at this very familiar story, we all gain a fresh insight. Um, and I also pray that God's spirit fills us afresh with the incredible heart and the truth that's at the centre of this message. I haven't got one. Can I use this one? Can you, actually, could you give me a different one? Because <laughs> I think that's probably open for a reason on a different page. That's going to annoy everybody if I do that. Thank you, David. That's very kind. Thank you. On Thursday evening at the carol service that we had in this building, I was really privileged to read a, re a lovely, awesome passage in Isaiah where we are told that Jesus will be called, we're not going to do it like we did on Thursday, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, um, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's a really superb piece of scripture, isn't it? Uh, and when we stop to think about it, we realise that Jesus has got loads and loads and loads of names that he is referred to throughout the Bible. Um, we don't know what his surname was. I think we probably doubt that there were surnames back then. But Jesus is Christ. He's the Messiah. 
He's the son of man, the son of God, the son of David. Um, Emmanuel, as we've heard this morning already, and we've sung about in our first carol. Emmanuel from the Hebrew, meaning God with us. And throughout the Bible, we are given promises by God. And one of the biggest promises is that God will be with us. And of course, it was partially fulfilled when God came with skin on to live amongst us in the, few, in, in the form of Jesus 2,000 years ago or so. And God with us was further partially fulfilled when he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, to dwell in those who believe in Christ. And of course, we look forward to the ultimate fulfillment of this promise in the new creation when God's dwelling place will be among the people, when God himself will be with them and be their God. But I think it's sometimes quite hard to believe in those promises all the time, 100%. I've just mentioned the promise of eternity, the glorious new heaven and new earth, the promise that one day there will be no more pain or suffering or death ever. And that is a great promise. It's a wonderful promise and it's a promise that Christians should keep their eye on. It's a promise that should motivate us to live the Christian life. And as we look into Luke 1 this morning, we're presented with many of God's great gospel promises. Not least of all, indeed, right at the heart of this little section, in uh, a promise of eternal life, a never-ending future. In Luke chapter 1, we meet someone who trusted God's word, some might say against all the odds. So have a look with me from chapter 26. No, chapter of chapter 1, verse 26. I was thinking I need a drink and I was concentrating on the, on the water, not the verse. Beg your pardon, chapter 1, verse 26. And first of all, look at the greeting. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was uh, was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. And Mary's response is pretty surprising. Verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled. Now, being greatly troubled by the arrival of an angel is no surprise at all. Right the way through the Bible, um, and not at least through the Christmas narrative, meeting an angel is a seriously troublesome thing. Uh, Angels, according to the biblical description, are pretty terrifying things. When you hear the word angel, you mustn't think of a a six-inch kind of Christmas tree decoration that looks cute. They are big and powerful and awesome creatures. There are some pretty scary descriptions of angels and heavenly beings. When we heard about the shepherds, for example, at the carol service on Thursday night, we heard that at the moment the shepherds encountered the angel, Uh, and that happens a little bit later on in Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 9, they were terrified. And shepherds were proper hard men. They were rugged. They lived the outdoor life. They 
wrestled wolves with their bare hands to protect their sheep and stuff. They were definitely not wimps, were shepherds. But the sight of an angel left them terrified because angels are mighty, powerful beings. So to read that Mary was troubled is no surprise at all, apart from Look at the text, look at what the text says, and you'll see what Mary was troubled by. Verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying. It wasn't the sight of the angel, but the angel's words that troubled Mary. And for sure, throughout the Bible, people have been troubled by the words of angels because they are, after all, God's messengers. When they rock up, they usually have something of huge significance to talk about. They don't just turn up and chat about the weather. Whenever they come throughout the Bible, they talk about the most important issues of life and death. It's of no surprise that people are worried when they hear angels speaking. But I think the surprise is that at this point where Mary is troubled, the angel really hasn't said very much at all. He's only greeted her so far. So what's going on? I mean, it could be that Mary was quite troubled because she thought there might be a little bit of a catch or something. You know, a little bit like when you get a a cold call or a a random email or something saying, Dear Mr. Joyce, I'm pleased to inform you, you've been selected to receive a special offer. And and I don't know about you, but my defences sort of go up. My spidey senses start tingling that I'm going to be conned into buying something that I really don't want. And so Mary is just sort of sitting around here at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, minding her own business, and she is visited by a celestial stranger, and he greets her by telling her that she is highly favoured. You have been selected especially to receive a special offer. Is it any wonder then that she is greatly troubled? Carol's already mentioned Uh, Mary's youth, and and she is young, but she is no naive, gullible pushover. So the angel Gabriel tries to reassure her, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. The angel uses Mary's name, which must be surprising and reassuring in probably equal measure. This, after all now, is definitely no mistaken identity. This is a personal message that she is getting. And that's what we would expect from our gracious and loving God. He knows us. He calls us by name. And he's gentle with us. Verse 30, the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. He knows our fears. But he reassures her. There's nothing to be frightened of. In fact, quite the opposite. Verse 30, you have found favour with God. Now that is clearly important because those of you that haven't dozed off or started thinking about the wrapping that you've still got to do might have realised that he's now said that twice. It's the second time in two sentences that the angel has said, you have found favour with God. The first time, verse 28, greetings favoured one. 
And then again in verse 30, Mary, you have found favour with God. It's clearly an important part of the message. And it's so crucial, therefore, that we don't misunderstand what it means. What does it mean when Mary is referred to as highly favoured? We surely have the duty to understand that properly. Mary being described as highly favoured is not a declaration that Mary herself was highly impressive or, or highly moral or super spiritual. Whenever we use the word favour, we always use it in the sense of getting something that we don't deserve. So if at the end of the service I ask you to do a, do a, do a favour for me, it's because I don't deserve it that I use the words, can you do me a favour? Do you see what I mean? I, when I go to work, my boss doesn't say, can you do me a favour and do your job, please? Okay, he, he, he just tells me to do the job and then he pays me because I'm doing the job. When I take my car up to the garage, I don't say to the, um, to the mechanic, can you do me a favour and fix my car? I ask them to fix my car and then I pay them for the work that they are doing. They don't do me a favour. Favour is all about getting something that you don't deserve. And it says here twice in two sentences that Mary received favour. So she's not doing God a favour. It's not what it says. She is the one who is favoured. God is, therefore, giving her something, giving her something that she doesn't deserve. And I think that's a really important little nuance because there's so much nonsense that is believed about Mary. Don't misunderstand me. I think Mary's great, okay? And I'm going to speak very highly of her today. We already have done. But some even worship her, and that's, frankly, idolatry. Right, well, we've covered the greeting. So let's go into the announcement now. Verses 31 to verse 33. First of all, 31. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, remarkable, spectacular verses, packed with the most astonishing facts and promises. Verses 32 and 33 reveal some of the most wonderful truths about the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. But when the angel says these verses, Mary doesn't seem to hear any of them. Have a look what happens in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's concerned about one thing. How can I be with child if I've never slept with a man? Yeah, do, you, do you see what's going on? The, the angels turned up, verse 31, you will conceive a child. And from that moment on, she doesn't hear a thing that the angel's saying. None of the words really go in. And I get that, you know, when you're on the receiving end of 
momentous news, that kind of happens. You hear the first thing and then you don't really hear anything else. Think about going to the hospital, getting test results or something. You hear a terrible diagnosis. You just don't hear anything else. You don't, you don't hear about the treatment plans. Not the first time. Devastating news leaves you deaf to whatever is said next. And, and as Carol said, this news from the angel Gabriel would have been devastating news for this young woman. Back in verse 26, we were already told everything that we needed to know to understand this important plot point. Mary was a virgin, betrothed to Joseph. News that she was pregnant was catastrophic news, as we've just heard. Socially, it would have been much, much worse than a little bit awkward. It was a disgrace. She would have been seen as a fallen woman. She would have been treated as a pariah. She would have been abandoned, not only by Joseph, but also others. And not only socially, Carol said, legally, it was a disaster. Because being betrothed was so much more than just an engagement today. In that society, betrothal was the legally binding first step to being married. And so Mary being betrothed to one man, but pregnant to another, the law was going to class her as an adulteress, and that carried the death penalty. So socially and legally, this news was metaphorically and literally life-ending. So with that context, is it really then any wonder that she didn't engage in any more of the news than just the first words, Mary, you're going to be pregnant? Is it any wonder that the only thing that she wanted to know was, how can this be possible that I am with child? How can it be possible that a virgin is pregnant? And that's the big issue that the angel deals with next. You know, Mary was far from naive. She understood the birds and the bees. She wanted to know, how is, it how is it possible that I'm pregnant? And so the angel answers, verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary's asking, how is all this possible? And the answer, the virgin birth is a miracle. And it's a miracle by the Holy Spirit. That's how it's possible. That's the explanation. There is no other. It is a miracle. And to reassure Mary that miracles really do happen, the angel goes on saying in verse 36, even your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Elizabeth, Mary's elderly relative, was six months pregnant. God had stepped into Elizabeth's life and reversed the effects of ageing, putting life back into a barren womb. Back in verse 24, we were told that Elizabeth had kept the news of her pregnancy quiet, 
And so it seems as if this is the first time, the first thing that Mary has heard about it. The reason that Gabriel mentions it is to strengthen Mary's ability to believe that miracles really do happen. And therefore that she, a virgin, could be supernaturally pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we've looked at the greeting, we've looked at the announcement, now we're going to have a look at the response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's verse 38. Mary's response is remarkable, and it's even more astonishing when you compare it to the earlier response of Zechariah, because just before this episode that we've picked up on here, Luke recorded the events in the temple with Zechariah, who's Elizabeth's husband. And apart from being linked by appearing in the same chapter of Luke's gospel, they are linked because they both feature the angel Gabriel turning up. They both talk about a supernatural birth. Luke's really making a very clear link here. But it's the contrasts, it's the differences that are really, really interesting. So just come on with me on a, on a little bit of a journey because we find out quite a lot about Mary based on what she's not like. You see, Zechariah was an old man and Zechariah was a priest. Mary, on the other hand, was a young girl and she had no real standing. Zechariah was a man of high standing in Jewish society. He was a man who should have been full of faith. From the day that Gabriel appeared to him, Zechariah had been given that huge privilege of going into the temple to burn incense. Do you remember? Not just any old person could do that. So Zechariah, of all people, should have trusted God. Yet Zechariah... The old priest wouldn't believe it. Look at verse 19. It's just um, back on the other page that we started on. And the angel answered him, that's Zechariah, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. See what he's saying? I'm, I'm Gabriel, I'm, I'm sent by God with a message from God. Gabriel's words were the words of God. But Zechariah didn't believe God's words. And so, verse 20, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. By contrast, the second half of the story, Mary did believe. Zechariah, old man, priest of high standing, should have believed and he didn't. Mary, young woman, no real standing, she did believe. And that's when we read those awesome words of verse 38. Behold, I am your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Those are terrific words of faith. Mary heard and believed the words of God. She wasn't a gullible, naive child, but she believed she didn't know what this would mean for her. 
Indeed, humanly, the announcement of her pregnancy meant a life of suffering and quite possibly death. And yet she responds with, I am the Lord's servant. Uh, And that word servant, it's um, got a little one next to it, you can see, if you've got little super, super powered eyeballs. Uh, That word servant also translates as slave. Lord, I am your slave. Do with me as you will. And that is a brilliant response, isn't it? That's, That's an illustration of the Christian life. And we should be wishing that response in all our hearts. It's so easy to sing rousing songs with that kind of feeling, isn't it? And we do. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may take me. Wherever you may take me, let me. It's easy to sing. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I surrender all. Easy to sing. But the actual meaning of that, Lord, I am your slave. Do with me as you will. That's scary. That's hard. It's much more of a challenge to absorb those sentiments into our hearts and to really mean them, even if it means, as Mary was, a life of being socially isolated or misunderstood or even metaphorical or literal death. Because that's the Christian life that we're called to. We're lucky in some places in the world From the moment that you declare yourself a Christian, you are in danger of losing your life. All over the world, people are suffering for believing the word of God. Even in safe and secure swallow nest, you know that on a much more mundane scale, if you stand firm on the word of God amongst your family and friends, you will suffer for it in some way. If you say that Jesus is the unique and only way to God, you'll be accused of being a narrow-minded bigot. If you say that you believe in the virgin birth, you're pretty likely to be laughed at and considered some sort of naive fool. Standing on the word of God is a sure way to encounter hardship, even in swallow nest. And Mary didn't know what was ahead. But in the first century, as a pregnant, unmarried woman, she was heading for a whole bunch of suffering and heartache. And of course, we know with 2020 vision, this side of the cross, that she was heading for a huge amount of suffering and heartache. No more acute suffering and heartache, of course, than watching her son die on the cross, tortured and crucified. But gloriously, the manger and the cross are not the end of the story because there's also that glorious resurrection. That's why Mary's attitude was not a foolish death sentence, but rather a declaration of a glorious optimism for a wonderful future. Because almost hidden amongst the angel's words of greeting and reassurance, there is a promise. Look back to that rich content of Gabriel's announcement, verse 31 to 33. 
You will be with child. You will give birth to a son. You would give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And that's what the virgin birth means. The virgin birth means there can be salvation for men and women. Salvation being that men and women can spend all eternity with God. Forever. Beyond death in a place where there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying, and no more death. Why does the virgin birth point to that? Because the baby is both God and man. The angel says he will be called Son of the Most High. It's precisely because the power of the Most High God came upon Mary that Jesus can be called Son of the Most High. It shows that he is fully God. But the virgin birth also shows that he is fully human. At the end of verse 32, we read that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David because he was descended from the earthly line of King David. And that point was made right at the beginning of the passage. Jesus was born God but he was also born man. And being both God and man, that means he can save us. That's why the angel said in verse 31, call him Jesus, because Jesus means saviour. And that's how it all comes together. The God-man Jesus paid a ransom, not by handing over money, but by doing something even more costly, by giving his life on a cross dying to pay the price for sin so that we can have the most glorious future. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is not only our saviour, but he is the king who will reign forever over an everlasting kingdom. That is what we are making a noise about. The baby whose birth we celebrate tomorrow The man who is God, born to a virgin, will grow up to be God's perfect sacrifice to save us all. To give us the best gift of all. Even better than the ones I've bought my wife. (laughs) Eternal life in an eternal kingdom. There's nothing better than that. And knowing that and believing that changes everything. And so if there is anybody here who is listening to this, but you haven't fully embraced those things for yourself, whether that's here or at home, that could be for any reason. Maybe no one's really explained it to you before. Maybe it just doesn't quite make sense to you. Then talk to me or or somebody else that you trust at the end of the service. Get in touch, email in, put a comment on the YouTube video. And if you do already believe this, then make some noise about it and rejoice in it because this is absolutely wonderful. Tell others about it. They get a couple of days off next week in Jesus' name. I think that makes it fair game to mention him, doesn't it? 
and respond to it as Mary did. I am your servant. I will trust in your word, whatever that brings. Okay, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this season and the focus that Christmas can bring us. We thank you for this remarkable incident of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. And Lord, we thank you for Mary's remarkable faith. We thank you for the virgin birth. We thank you that that tells us that Jesus is both God and man. We thank you that he can be the mediator, the one who stands between you, our Father God, and ourselves who turned away from you. And we pray that we would rejoice in this news. We pray that we would tell others about it. And Lord, help us to respond as Mary did. I am your servant. I will trust in your word. Father God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as we come around the Lord's table, let's just take a moment and continue to reflect on those words there, of that song, the words that we've heard, the words that we've sung and prayed of this morning, because you see it all links. There's no difference there that we've heard of the coming of Christ at his birth, the silent night, the little girl in the darkness. And cast forward some 33 years to where we find another night that's not silent, to where we find not but a little girl, but a grown woman with tears in her eyes, in the labor of pain at the sight of her son upon the cross. Because all what Jesus had come to do had been fulfilled. To make it all perfect, to make it all for us, there had to be that great sacrifice. All spoke of long before. All spoke of to what is to be and to what is to come. And yet there is that assurance of what Christ said and what he did came to fruition and will come to fruition. We pick up the words spoken by God as revealed by John in Revelation where it speaks of the new heaven and the new earth. We've heard of that this morning. It says, I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honour of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does not who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
because the Lamb of God is Jesus Christ, the one who came to take away the sins of the world, the one who came to give the greatest sacrifice of all, but once and for all. As we hear of that countless story that we've heard this morning, remember that's still under the old covenant of the Jewish Passover. It wouldn't be until some 33 years later in that upper room with Jesus and his disciples and his friends and his family and his loved ones where he will bring into fruition the new covenant. Where on that night, as they had supper, he took the bread and when he had given them thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And in that same way, as they continued and after supper, he took the cup of wine and said that this is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so for all these years since then, and all the years until he comes again, as long as that we eat of this bread and we drink of this wine, we do so in remembrance of what Christ said to us and to all people who will truly receive and believe that he is God of God and light of light that shines down into the darkness. Let's pray. Adventus God, at this time in this season, we recount and we rejoice at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This event that happened some 2,000 years ago, but nonetheless we continue to celebrate in that newness of new life, of being born again. And Lord, in that same way as we remember of that life lived on earth, but the life that lived long before and will continue to live forevermore, in that ultimate sacrifice of your Son, Lord Jesus. So, Father God, we give you thanks that we can be found at table, that we will commit and promise from these days forward and forevermore until you come again, that as we eat of this bread and as we drink of this wine, we do so in remembrance of you, Jesus. Lord, come, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts and our minds to receive of you. Let us give glory and all thanks and honour to you. As we say, for all that you have done and all that you will continue to do. And a reminder of your assurance, as you said to your disciples that night, and you say to us now that you will not eat of this bread and you will not drink of this wine again until you do it in a fresh and anew with us in heaven and as you reveal through John and in Revelation of that new heaven and that new earth where there will be no temples there will be no darkness but there will be the ever joy hope, peace and love of that assurance in and through of God and of the Lamb the light of the world so come, Lord Jesus, and shine brightly into our lives as we remember you again this day and give you all the glory 
and all the thanks forever and ever. Amen. This bread is gluten-free. This wine is simply juice. We share it as it, it, it comes out. Please take the bread and eat it as you receive it. Retain the cup and we'll drink as a sign of our unity together at the end. If for whatever reason you don't want to take part of any of the elements, then please just allow them to pass you by without any fear or embarrassment. But come and receive the bread of life and the blood of Christ. <coughs> So let us again with thankful hearts lift our glass and remember all that Christ has done and all that Christ will do in remembrance of him. Amen. Father God, we thank you that we can be found at your table. We just pour out our hearts to you. And give you thanks and all glory and honour and praise. Lord, as we continue in this time, be with us, be near us and guide us evermore. Help us to speak out and to be shining lights into the darkest places. Where you will send us, may we go full of Holy Spirit. Lord, lead us to your people. Lead us to the places where you would send us. And at all times, in all places, may we be able to share the love of Jesus Christ. For your glory and in your name. Amen. Lord, we pray that you will be in our worship and in our celebrations. God, be in our feasting and in our giving. God, be in our loving and in our living this Advent and into the future. Let's just say the grace together. Grace to our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.